awonebajja eri Yesu abafarisayo nabawandisi abava mu Yerusalemu ngabagamba anti abayigirizwabo kike kibononyesa obulombolombo butwawe bwabakadde kubanga tebana aba mungalo ngabali emmere naye Yesu naddamu nabagamba anti namwe kike kibononyesa eteka lya katonda olubulombolombo bwemwawebwa Now verse 7 Aonabagamba ntimwe banamfusi Yesaya Yesaya yalagula bulungi kumwe ngagamba anti abantu bano banzi samu ekitibwa kya kumimwa nayo mutima gwabwe gundi wala naye banzi bansiziza bwerere ngabayigiriza amateka gabantu ngabo byebyo kukwata Naite kibina nabagamba nti muulire mutegere ekingira mukamwa sike kyono no muntu naye kiva mukamwa ekyo kye kyono na omuntu in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen uh, ladies and gentlemen and once again, I'm honored to be here. Uh, our passage reading today from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, uh, we are continuing with a series of uh, studies in the book of Matthew. As my brother, uh, Pastor Will, told me, he has been expounding on this Gospel of Matthew for the last couple of weeks, and I'm continuing with the same. And uh, chapter 15, Verse 1 to 11 is about the man-made traditions, the confrontation that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the scribes over the man-made traditions. One of the interesting things about Jesus' ministry is that he had more problems, more problems with the religious people than with ordinary people. The religious leaders were a problem during his entire earthly ministry. And as you all know, in the end, it was the religious people who brought about his death. The problem with the religious leaders was that they had made religion an outward matter. They had made religion an outward matter and not an inward experience. And so truth was trumped by tradition. Unfortunately, many of our churches today do the same thing. We are controlled or guided by tradition. And no, we no longer have the relevant impact that Jesus charged us to have because of our traditions. Many church leaders are bound by traditions that are nowhere in the Bible which is the one and only final source of authority for us. I come from a church which has many traditions. You know, the Anglican Church uh, comes from the Church of England. 
Here it is the Episcopal Church of the United States, and in my country, it's called the Anglican Church of Uganda, and it's the largest Protestant denomination. But we are guided with, by traditions. I'll tell you a story of what happened to me some few years ago. I was driving with my bishop to go to a church function, and uh, the bishop all of a sudden, halfway between our journey, we were already late, but halfway between the journey, the bishop told me to stop the car and go back home. You know what? He had forgotten his finger ring. Bishops, when they are consecrated, they are given a ring, not a wedding ring, but a pastoral ring, uh, which means that they are married to the diocese. A bishop is an overseer over an area of jurisdiction called a diocese in the Anglican tradition. So they are given rings. Unfortunately, some bishops exhort rings. And so my bishop told me to drive all the way back to just go and pick a ring. Uh, and we were late at the function. People got so frustrated because they were waiting for the bishop who was not coming, but because he had to go and pick a ring. Sometimes we have traditions that we almost worship. On another occasion, I was asked to read a lesson in the church. The church was in a rural area. It was a big function, but there were no loud speakers. And I moved in, the, in, in our churches, we have got lecterns where we read lessons from in the Anglican churches. When you go, they are put somewhere like here. That's where you have to go and read the lesson. But in this case, in this situation, I didn't go to the, to the lectern. I decided to go and read from the middle of the people because there were so many people and I had no microphones. Some people were even standing outside. The reason I did that was so that people would hear the lesson. But at the end of the service, I was confronted by the elders of the church for abandoning the tradition of the church. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes we exalt traditions. I don't know about your church, but sometimes traditions bind us when they're nowhere in the Bible. But not all traditions are bad. St. Paul, in his second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 15, talks about some traditions as good traditions. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. So you see, Paul is kind of upholding tradition. But tradition becomes a bad thing, or it becomes a problem when it surpasses truth and when it contradicts truth. We are not called to call on traditions as church, but we are called on to proclaim truth. In today's text, which we just heard from Matthew, Jesus was confronted by furious Pharisees and scribes when the report that this, his miracles were spreading everywhere 
that, that the Savior's miracles were spreading everywhere, the Pharisees and the scribes from Jerusalem made their way to Gennesaret to confront him. They charged Jesus that his disciples were neglecting the traditions of the elders, for they did not ceremonially wash their hands according to the tradition. The hand washing, which is referred to in verse 1 and verse 2, was a special ceremonial washing, where someone was required to wash the feet, to wash the face, to wash both hands down to the elbow. It was a special ceremonial hand washing. And from the days of Ezra until the time of Christ, the Jews had added to the word of God many other interpretations, many other interpretations from man-made laws. So when these religious leaders drop by for a visit, they are not interested in truth, but they were interested in whether their silly traditions were being followed by Jesus. And in their minds, if Jesus didn't follow their tradition, he was therefore a heretic. He was a heretic. But Jesus also confronts them. And he responds by asking them a question. Why they also transgressed the commandment of God by their traditions. That's what we see in verse 15, chapter 3. Verse 3, chapter 15, verse 3. Jesus asked them why they transgressed the commandment of God by their tradition. This narrative, today's narrative, highlights a big problem that has troubled man and many Christians in many churches for many centuries. How do we distinguish between commandments of God and traditions? We need to have a clear definition of these terms. We need to come with a clear definition of the terms commandment and tradition in churches. Commandment in this present context has to do with the divine revelation. Ladies and gentlemen, commandment has to do, the commandment in this context, it's something that has to do with the divine revelation. It is further designated in the Bible as the word of God. When you read Matthew chapter 15, verse 6, and Mark chapter 7, verse 13, commandment is also designated as the word of God. For example, Jesus says, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions. So commandment is the word of God. Some Greek manuscripts call it law. They use the term law. So commandment is the equivalent of law. These terms represent an obligation imposed by God himself to which human beings are subject. These terms, commandment, law, word of God, are imposed, are obligations that were imposed by God to which we human beings are all subject. And violation of it is sin. On the other hand, the term tradition renders a Greek word that signifies instruction that has been handed down. 
The expression may be used in a good sense, equivalent to a divine commandment, as when we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. But in other contexts, it can donate hurtful human traditions that are condemned. So we have to be careful how we use the traditions. There are common practices or traditions in the church that with the passing of time have become accepted as the voice of God. I think I need to repeat this. With the passing of time, some traditions become accepted in churches as the voice of God. Such traditions become burdens to people and they start robbing people of their legitimate freedom in Christ. We need to have a spiritual discernment to know what is the commandment of God and what is a human man-made tradition. We need a spiritual discernment to know the principles that separate law of God from tradition. Law of God was made known through persons who were credentialed by miraculous signs. For example, Hebrew law came through Moses. Hebrew law came through Moses, whose reception of the commandment was confirmed by supernatural phenomena, and whose subsequent continency bore witness to the reality of a heavenly encounter. Christ's miracles, Christ's miracles, and those that were performed by his disciples validated the divine origin of the New Testament law. Sacred law is not subject to human alteration. Sacred law is not subject to human alteration. It remains inviolate upon whom it is required for as long as it is designed to last. Tradition, on the other hand, evolves. Tradition evolves. Law does not change, does not evolve, but tradition evolves. Tradition is established by custom, by habit or custom. It will vary. It can also vary in its character from place to place and from time to time. That is tradition. And as we have already said, tradition is not intrinsically evil. I need to repeat this one. Tradition is not intrinsically bad. It's not intrinsically evil since it operates in the realm of expediency and human judgment. However, it is condemned when it is thrust into the role of law and bound as such. We need, therefore, to be careful not to reduce law to the status of tradition or to exalt tradition to the status of law, ladies and gentlemen. How did Jesus treat tradition? We see from the Gospels that Jesus valued relationships with the people over rules, over rules 
during his earthly ministry. Jesus was a gatherer of broken people, and he was a friend of sinners. That was his priority. In fact, Jesus was a pro-sinner person. He was a pro-sinner that he was willing to upset the religious leaders. He was willing to upset even the religious leaders of the day to reach those who were in need of his mercy. Jesus could upset the religious leaders and their regulations to reach lost people. Jesus always acted so unpredictably, so radically, and so unexpectedly that his whole life, his whole life was a challenge to the rural makers of his day. The religious authorities burdened the people with heavy loads of works and offered no assistance to those they so heavily weighted. The Jewish leaders, religious leaders, and their self-made religion portrayed a God who was vindicative, a God who was angry, a God who was distant, and a God who was not involved with everyday lives of the people. That's the kind of God the Jewish religious leaders portrayed. But Jesus came to earth and changed all that. As he lived out his life, his daily interaction with real people and real sinners painted a different picture of God. Who cared? Jesus painted a picture of a God who cared and a God who transformed and who loved more than anyone could ever imagine. The New Testament displays Jesus Christ's respect for people and his disregard for those who did not care for people. To him, to Jesus, therefore, it was better to heal a man on the Sabbath than to wait for Monday. To him, it was better to heal a man on the Sabbath than to wait for Monday so that he doesn't cause a stir in the city. The Pharisees, on the other hand, because of their religious rules and traditions, could not get excited about a healing that would take on the Sabbath. For they had no intention of celebrating a miracle that God had to break a man-made rule to accomplish. As we finish, what important lessons do we learn from today's text? I think Jesus teaches us some very important lessons. In verse 10 to 11, Jesus calls on the crowds and teaches them, teaches them that what goes into someone's mouth does not defile a person. What goes into your mouth and stomach does not defile you. But what comes out of a person's mouth is what defiles the person. Jesus teaches that what you eat is no big deal. For sin doesn't begin in the stomach. Sin begins in the heart, ladies and gentlemen. Sin begins in the heart according to Jesus. And in verse 17 to chapter, verse 20, in this text of today, Jesus teaches that what you eat, what you eat, although it may make you sick, but it won't make you a sinner. 
It may make you unhealthy, but it will not make you unholy. It's not about the hands, but the heart. For sin starts on the inside and works its way out, not the other way round. And only God has the authority to make us clean of our filthy hearts. And only God has the authority to make us clean of our filthy hearts. He promises to do so through his blood that was spilled on the cross at Calvary. And he promises to do it to anyone who humbles himself, himself and come to him in faith. God bless you.